Well, good morning, everyone. How incredible were those youngsters on the piano? And I don't even know what this is. I'm like, there's no music, and he was just going for it. In fact, I noticed the pianist's music sheet in front of me earlier, and I kind of pointed it out to Kristen, and I said, I think there's a, something wrong with his music sheet, because there are way too many dots and things and markings on that music sheet. And I don't know how many of you noticed, but that first young boy that was playing hardly looked at his music sheet. And those fingers were just going. I'm like, whoo, amazing. Yeah, th- those kids have got some talent. So if you are visiting with us this morning, um, maybe by now you've kind of realized, okay, things are a little different today for some reason. Uh, absolutely, today we're celebrating Lunar New Year. I know it's not exactly today. It's during this coming week. Uh, But here at White Rock Baptist Church, we have quite a a big ministry and a big uh, kind of thing that happens through the week where we do English second language or English language learning. And so we have a a great connection with the Asian community, with Chinese and Japanese and Korean and everything else. And I know I'm going to get myself into trouble if I keep mentioning them because I'm going to forget them all. But we, we have this ministry that goes. And so last year, someone in the church suggested, hey, why don't we do like a Lunar New Year thing? And it was a great morning last year as we gathered together. And so this year it kind of just seemed normal. Let's do it again. So straight after the service this morning, we are going to be gathering. And because we're Baptists, when we meet, we eat. We can't do anything gathering together without eating. That's why at the end of the month for the AGM, yep, we're eating again. That's just what we do. And I know for some of you today, it's just going to be an amazing day because you're going to go straight from food here to food at a Super Bowl party somewhere. So your day is just made uh, and, and the blizzard outside does not concern you because you'll be inside feasting on wings and all those good things. So if you are visiting with us this morning, I, I'm going to be going into scripture in a couple of minutes, but I sort of want to point out right off the bat that if you're visiting with us this morning, I'm not actually talking to you. That's not to say that you've wasted your time by coming. That's not to say you're not going to get anything out of this message. I pray, I hope, I trust that you will. But this morning, I'm speaking to those of us who call White Rock Baptist Church home. So this is your home church. Now, you might be a member, which is awesome. You might not be a member yet. But you still call this home because you come frequently. And, and if somebody says to you, oh, what church do you go to? You, you're kind of like, yeah, White Rock Baptist. That's my home church. And so this morning, I want to speak directly to you. I know that for many of us and for myself included, my favorite kind of sermon series is an expositional series through a book of the Bible. Uh, That's my favorite. I love taking a book of the Bible and kind of going through it and saying, well, what does it say? What does it mean? How do we apply it to our lives? What do we do with it? And I know that most of you really value that, which is awesome. These next few weeks, we're not doing that. Don't panic. The Bible is there. And if you like your expositional series, then I would encourage you, make sure you're here during March and beyond. Because in March, we're diving back into a book of the Bible. And I'm already starting to prepare for that. And I'm super excited. But for now, the month of February, I'm simply asking two questions. Two questions during February. And those questions are, why is White Rock Baptist Church here? And what is my part? Now, the question is first person, my part. 
Because I'm hoping that you will ask the exact same question. Why is White Rock Baptist Church here? And what is Brian's part? No, no, no. That's not what I want you to ask. Why is White Rock Baptist Church here? And what is my part? For those of you who, who like to kind of hinge it on a name, this would be sort of a, a, a vision series. This is Vision Month. But I know when I say Vision Month, some of you get a little panicky and maybe you hold on to your wallet a little tighter because you think, oh no, Brian's going to ask for money because that's normally what Vision Month is all about. I want you to rest assured I'm not asking you for any money, at least not today. <laughs> Why are we here? What is my part? How many of you remember, probably in the late 80s, there was a Christian sort of it was a cassette tape. There was a Christian tape series called Salty. Uh, P-S-A-L-T-Y. Anybody remember Salty? Okay, a couple of hands going up. You know what was awesome about Salty? Is Salty taught us kids awesome biblical truths. I mean, I, even now, I catch myself sometimes kind of singing along. And in the office, I'll sing along and I'll go, I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And if I'm singing a little too loudly from the office next to me, David shouts out, where? <laughs> down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And, and so it goes. But your salty is really just a Christian version of what you know, we know as Sesame Street, uh, maybe Barney, you know, Barney, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. And maybe some of you, Barney and Sesame Street is a little too young. Maybe you remember Mr. Rogers and a couple of other things like that. But there's a reason that those shows exist and those shows do so well. It's because they teach children deep foundational truths that we want them to know even from a an, an young age. So in their formative years, Barney or Sesame Street comes along and sings a little nursery rhyme about saying please and thank you. Because we know it's not just a little song, it's going to help those children form within them and their habits that actually we should use please and thank you if we want to get somewhere in life. Now, for some reason, that sort of seems to disappear from about 11 years old to about 18, 19 years old. But it's in there, and it comes back. And we learn through rhyme. We learn through these pithy little sayings. We learn in our formative years. You may have been in a church before. Maybe you've been a part of a church for a number of years. Maybe you've heard somebody talk about the Apostles' Creed. You've heard the name. Maybe you even know the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is the same sort of thing. Now, admittedly, it wasn't a nursery rhyme. No fluffy stuffed dinosaur sang it, and it was in hard Latin. But it served the same purpose. In an era where the population were largely illiterate and couldn't read, uh, they had to be told kind of what they believed and why they believed it. And so the Apostles' Creed was slowly formed as that statement and as that saying that people could hinge to or hold their faith to and go, this is my faith, summarized. You know, the history of the Apostles' Creed is pretty interesting. It appears for the first time in, in a letter probably by Ambrose from a council in Milan. He, he writes to Pope Siracius in AD 390. And he says this. He says, let them give credit to the creed of the apostles, which the Roman church has always kept and preserved undefiled. 
Of course, what existed in AD 390 is not what we know as the Apostles' Creed today. In fact, what we know as the Apostles' Creed today slowly morphed and and developed from about AD 390 to AD 650. It's referred to in various forms by historians and writers throughout history. Uh, The likes of Irenaeus, Tertullian, Novatian, Marcellus, Rufinus, Ambrose, Augustine, Nicetus, and Eusebius, Gallus. And I know you all know exactly all of those people. They're just historians who wrote through history. All of them refer back to this Apostles' Creed or to an Apostles' Creed. Charles the Great or Charles I, better known by his name Charlemagne, he's often referred to as the father of Europe, king of the Franks from 768, king of the Lombards from 774, and then Roman emperor from 800. During his reign, he imposed the Latin version of the Apostles' Creed throughout all his dominions. And because of that, it was finally accepted in Rome and replaced their old Roman symbol or their old Roman creed. And that one was generally accepted to have been formed in about the 5th century. But enough about me talking about it. What have we ended up with as an Apostles' Creed today? So we're going to get up the first part, and I know you maybe have been to a liturgical church where you've done this before, and we as Baptists don't always do this, but I thought it would be really cool for us to read the Apostles' Creed together. We sing a version of this in a song, this I believe, and another one, the Creed, but today we're going to say it. So read with me as we read through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Just to to kind of point out there, because I know somebody's going to ask the question, what's this holy Catholic church? Catholic simply means universal, the worldwide church, the global church. It's not, oh, wait a second, I thought we were kind of evangelical, part of the Protestant arm. No, no, it's the worldwide church. Is the Apostles' Creed beneficial? Was it necessary? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Apostles' Creed summarizes the key doctrines and the tenets of our faith. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible says to us. And if we would believe and accept and understand this, then our faith would be on solid ground. And of course, the Apostles' Creed was developed for those who could not read for themselves. Now, we take it for granted that we can read. We send our children off to school and they learn to read. 
My daughter won't mind me sharing this, but I remember when she started in grade one at school. She came back on day two very upset because they had not taught her to read on day two of grade one at school. But slowly over time, they taught her. And so we all know how to read. We forget that for many, many centuries in our history, in in humanity's history, the overwhelming majority of the population simply could not read. And so the Apostles' Creed was formed by the church, by those of faith, those who believed in Jesus Christ, to say, how do we summarize what we need to know? How do we put to, to word what we need to know? To hold and to have as a steadfast faith. The key points of our doctrine. It's interesting. I was part of a a life group a number of years ago. And like all good life groups, we used to study through all the different books of the Bible. And we would have those little Bible study help books. And they would take you you through James or Ephesians. We did Revelations. all, All the different books of the Bible we're going through. And then it got to a point where we had to kind of figure out, well, what's the next thing? We're finishing off whatever book we were doing. What should we do next? And someone suggested, why don't we do the Apostles' Creed? I mean, the Apostles' Creed should be pretty good because it kind of summarizes all the doctrines and the key doctrines of our faith. Sorry, not all, but the key doctrines of our faith. So it'd be cool to, to do this. Until one of our members in our life group vehemently opposed the idea. And we were all a bit confused. Why would you not want to study the Apostles' Creed? And this guy's genuine answer was, I want to study the Bible, not what somebody else says the Bible says. And of course, we're going, wait a minute, do you not see the irony? Like we've been studying other books of what other people are saying the Bible says, and it takes us into the Bible. Why not study something around key faith doctrines and tenets? Why not study that and come to grips with what Scripture says? But nope, try as we might, we didn't study the Apostles' Creed because we want to study the Bible. Now, I agree with that spirit. Yes, what does the Bible say? Far more than what some other individual says. So we at White Rock Baptist Church don't have our own Apostles' Creed. But we do have a purpose statement. Our purpose statement is simply... And that White Rock Baptist Church seeks to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ, comma, worshiping God and growing in faith to impact the world. Do we believe that the Bible is true and the Bible is the word of God and the Bible is necessary for our living and for our faith and for our understanding of what to do here on this earth? Absolutely, fundamentally, yes. I cling to the word of God. Because it is God's revelation and God's instruction and, yes, God's love letter to me and to us. But I know that you and I are unlikely to be able to memorize all of Scripture. Even as we read Scripture on a daily basis. So when we unite and when we gather together as a community, what is the rallying cry that holds us together? And that's what we as a community came up with. I didn't come to the church one morning and say, I've come down from the mountain and thus saith the Lord. No. We as a church journeyed for over a year and prayed together and had conversations together and had little groups and even town hall meetings where we together said, where is God leading us into the next season? And together we determined God is leading us 
to seek to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ, worshiping God and growing in faith to impact the world. So that's what I want to look at as we talk about Vision Month. Why are we here and what is my part in the midst of that? If we're a loving community of hope, if we're worshiping, if we're growing in faith, if we're impacting the world, what is my part in that? And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through that. For today, I want to look at that first portion, a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ. Now, if I talk about loving community again, I could go to numerous passages in the Bible. Because loving community must force me to say, what does the Bible say about loving community? What does the word say to us in terms of community? Well, I could take Jesus' command in John chapter 13. A new command I give to you, that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I could look at Paul's writing to Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. I could take Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I could look at Paul's writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the church is like a body, a physical human body. We as a community of believers are similar to that in that just as one body is made up in many parts, so too the church is. We're not all eyes or mouths or ears. We're a different part of the same body. I could have looked at Acts 2, verse 42, where the believers were together sharing and praying and celebrating. And Jesus, sorry, God was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. I could look at Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 16, that we are Christ's disciples, but we are in the world and not of the world. We're a community that is called apart and separate from the world. There are countless passages That could speak to us as to being a loving community. So where do I want to look at? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now I know if you've been in a church for a couple of years by now, you can quote great portions of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is, after all, the passage of love. I've heard it quoted routinely at... Weddings. In fact, I've probably quoted it myself at weddings. But it doesn't really belong at a wedding. There's nothing wrong with using it at a wedding. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it exists in a context. Chapter 12 and 14 are all about the rules for worship, the rules for gathering as a community and as a church. It's how we should operate and how we should fit. Function when we come together. And right in the middle of that, Paul gives these few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 8, up on the screen behind me. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. There's a lot in that passage. In fact, I could probably preach multiple sermons from this passage. Paul starts by saying, when I speak in tongues... Or when I prophesy, or even when I practice my faith. If I do that without love, well then I'm like a clanging cymbal. I'm just a noise. I serve no purpose and I make no real difference. Paul says, if I give all I have to the poor without love, well then I may as well not do it because I gain nothing. I remember, some of you probably circa early 1990s. The catchphrase was, love is a verb. Of course, if you listen to DC Talk, you know that straight away. (laughs) Love is a verb. Love is an action word. Love is a doing thing. So what does it look like? What do I do? What's the action? And that's what Paul says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not boast. Is not proud. Does not dishonor. Is not self-seeking. Not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Does not delight in evil. Rejoices with truth. Always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. That's a 14-point sermon right there. Look at that. There they are. Highlighted just for you. So do I preach a 14-point sermon? No. Not at all. They all go together. They're all part of what Paul is saying to us. But this morning, I want to draw on four of them. As I'm praying through this, I'm saying, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to us? They're all equally important. Make no mistake. And I hope that you will spend some time meditating on this passage of Scripture and saying, God, lead me. Holy Spirit, point out to me, what are the areas I need to work on? If love is a verb, if love is an action, what is it I need to work on? This morning I've got four that I want to share with you. Actually, it's five, but I've put the first two together. Patience and kind. Love is patience and kind. It's not just patient with those that are physically younger than us. In the context of a church community, a loving community, love is patience and kind with those who are spiritually younger than us. For those who don't know that you're not supposed to wear jeans up on stage in a Baptist church, love is patient with those kind of people. I just had to. I'm sorry. But remember, love forgives. You can't hold that against me. When I was in seminary, we used to have these endless debates in class. We would have these endless debates around all sorts of topics. And one of the debates was where Paul keeps saying, don't cause a weaker brother or sister to stumble. 
So just because you're free in Christ, then you really can do a whole bunch of things. Don't use your freedom as an excuse and in the midst of that cause others to stumble. And I used to get so worked up because I was like, I've got freedom. I can do X, Y, and Z. My faith is not dependent on that. And, and it doesn't matter what X, Y, and Z is. I can debate with you on all number of topics that I've got freedom in Christ. I can do that. It might not be beneficial for me. It might cause me harm, but I can do it. I've got freedom. And so I would get frustrated and I would say to the guys who would keep quoting that scripture, you're the weaker brother or sister. And they would get offended. No, 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 we're not. We, we're worried about the weaker brother. But over time, I've realized that's not love. Love is patient with those who have not discovered their freedom in Christ. And it shows kindness towards them. It gives them freedom. It gives them the benefit of the doubt. Love is patience with others. Love shows kindness to brothers and sisters with words and actions. Love is patient and kind. Love is not self-seeking. When we gather as a community together, we don't gather for our own self-seeking interests. Do you want to know if you're gathering for a self-seeking interest? It's when you get home and you think to yourself, well, I didn't really enjoy church this morning because they didn't sing my favorite hymn. Then you're gathering for the wrong reason. Or on the reverse, if you get home and say, I love church this morning. That was my favorite passage of scripture. And then they timed it perfectly well and the closing hymn was my favorite. You're here for the wrong reason. Love is not self-seeking. Love comes into community saying, how do I gather together to encourage brothers and sisters around me? How do I build them up? I know some of you have heard the story, but I cannot help keep on repeating it. Many years ago, I was able to go to a conference at a mega church in the United States. And I was hosted, Cindy and I were hosted by a couple from this church, a senior couple. They were in their late 70s. I think he was in his early 80s. He was head doll, early 80s. Yeah, I'm getting a thumbs up. Sometimes facts elude me. So they're a senior couple. And while we're sitting down for lunch after church on Sunday, they start talking about how they don't really like worship at their church. And Cindy and I were a little bit like, we don't know what to do with this. Is there a hidden camera? Are you testing us? What's going on? And the two of them said, no, we don't. You know, we miss the old hymns. We miss the organs. We miss kind of from our era and our generation. But we know that the world has moved on. And we know that we can go home and we can play the music we love. And we do. And they were. They were playing an old record. Remember those things? An old record with Christian hymns during lunch. They were saying, we can play that. We can worship freely. We know that our church is trying to reach the lost. So we go to church and we serve. In fact, that year, this gentleman had been serving in Sunday school for many, many years. That year, he had to start sitting on a chair because in his 80s, he couldn't sit on the floor with the Sunday school children anymore. There was a couple who said, it's not about us. Love is not self-seeking. Love seeks to bring Christ to those who don't know him. So we give what we can. And we serve for the sake of the body. Love is not self-seeking. Love sacrifices so that others may come face to face with Jesus. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I've been in church long enough. Not just White Rock Baptist Church, any church. I've been in church long enough 
to know that when more than two people gather together, there's a fence somewhere. Someone has said something to someone, about someone, about someone's mother, about someone's politics, about someone's favorite sports team. Someone has said something and upset or offended somebody else. And rather than deal with it, because we're supposed to put a happy smile on and be all loving, well, now we just go sit on that side of the church and we avoid them on that side of the church. If you're starting to feel a little hot right now, because you know that, well, actually, I pick where I sit so that I don't have to interact with that person. That's not what Paul says. That's not what the Bible leads us into. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, Brian, you don't understand. They really hurt me. No, I know they hurt you. Guess what? One day I'm going to hurt you. Come to me. And let's seek reconciliation and forgiveness. Because if you are just holding on to that grudge, all that you're doing is you're drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If you walk into church and you see somebody that you prefer to avoid and you quickly duck back out and go take another entrance, that's not White Rock Baptist Church. We seek to be a loving community. Love deals with that. Love lets go. Love forgives. Love gives over to God what God can restore and fix. Love keeps no record of wrong. And then lastly, love always hopes. Love always hopes. Let me ask, how cynical are you? Are you one of those people who kind of goes, oh, they're just going to let me down again? Because people let me down. You know what? If it's, if it's to be, it's up to me and I'll go get it done. That's not community. That's not love. You see, love always hopes and it hopes for the best. Knowing that, yes, there are going to be times where it doesn't go the way you hope, but it still hopes. Love hopes for the best. Love acts in such a way that others would hope for the best in us. White Rock Baptist Church seeks to be a loving community. This is our goal. But you know what? It's only possible when we do it. When we live in this way with each other. But we don't only exist to be a loving community. Because let me tell you, there are countless loving communities out in the world around us. I'm part of a running club. And, and, and we run pretty frequently. We have all sorts of events through the year, all sorts of get-togethers and gatherings and, and things like that. And that community is pretty loving. There are a lot of high fives that go around, especially after a run, first thing in the morning or in the evening. It, I would say it's community. Uh, some of you are part of various communities, social groups, sports groups, whatever. We are not simply a loving community. We are a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ. Hope in Jesus Christ. You know, the, the reformers kind of tried to summarize our key doctrine and our key faith and our key belief. And as they did that, they pointed out to a few key points. We know them as the solar five. And one of the solas was solus Christus. 
which translates Christ alone. It is in Christ alone that we find hope, that we find life. Joel Beakey said this, he says, Paul makes plain in Romans chapter 1 and 2 that though there is a self-manifestation of God outside of his saving work in Christ, no amount of natural theology can unite God and man. Union with Christ is the only way of salvation. So what does Joel mean? Well, what Joel is saying is we can see evidence of God's self-revelation in nature. I've been amazed over the last couple of weeks to see photos of sunrises and sunsets, to see snow-capped mountains, to see ravines in, in, across Canada and rivers and lakes, and just the splendor and the beauty we have around us. And I cannot help but go. I see the evidence of God in this. And so what Joel is saying is, yes, God is revealed in all of his creation. But that's not what saves us. We are saved through the work of Christ on the cross. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, before the Sanhedrin. You don't have to turn there, you don't have to read it, but in Acts chapter 4 we read, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew about to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, sorry. John, Alexander, and others. They had Peter and John brought before them, and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Our hope is in Jesus, because Jesus is our only hope. Just as that good old hymn on Christ the solid rock I stand says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We are a community of hope in Jesus Christ because there is no other absolute hope apart from Jesus Christ. Regardless of what the world says, all paths do not lead to God, no matter how sincere our profession and practice of that faith is. Jesus Christ is utterly exclusive. 
Because Jesus Christ himself said in John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. So why are we here? Well, to serve Jesus Christ by proclaiming the gospel of salvation found in him alone. How do we do this? It begins by being a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ. And as we will see over the next few weeks, it goes on from there. A community of loving, a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ who worship God, who grow in faith, and who impact the world. So what is my part? Well, if you're wondering, I've got two simple questions for you this morning. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these questions down. Am I serving others in loving relationships? And am I living in a way that reveals Jesus to others? Am I serving others? Not am I being served by others? Am I serving others in loving relationships? And am I living in a way that reveals Jesus Christ to others? Let's pray together. Our Father, this morning as we gather in your name and in the name of the only Savior, the only Lord, the risen Jesus Christ, who was crucified and died for us, died that we might live, who himself claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Father, this morning we thank you that your Holy Spirit works within us. And as you conform us ever more into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, so God, you do an incredible work in our community. Father, my prayer, my prayer is for White Rock Baptist Church, for those of us who call this home. Lord, may we be known as a loving community of hope in you. A place where those who come in may look different, may understand different, may sound different. Maybe in a different place in their journey with you. But yet, Lord, we would open our arms. And we would love. And we would embrace. Because ultimately our hope is in you, Jesus. It's not in our own forms. It's not in what we like. It's not in our style. Our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So, God, I pray that you would lead us so that your kingdom would be known in this place. And that a watching world would long to know what is it that separates you. Why are you this way? Why is there this love? Why is there this freedom and forgiveness and encouragement and community? We would simply be able to point to you. Jesus Christ, may your will be done and may your kingdom come in this place. For we ask it in your name. Amen.